This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with only Andy Bailey today. Dan is absent today doing other things. He might be Batman. We don't know. Today, we're going to be talking about the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, great team last year. Horrible playoff collapse. You know, they were up big in the third quarter of a closeout game against the Houston Rockets, and just everything went terribly from that point forward. They were entirely overmatched in the follow-up game and eliminated from the playoffs probably a bit too soon. They kept the same pieces in place after a strange offseason with DeAndre Jordan. I'm sure we're going to talk about that in the time to come. They added a couple big names who may or may not be effective for them, and now they're looking to try and take that next step in the ridiculously difficult Western Conference. They won 56 games last year. So, Andy, I guess the obvious question here is, the iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $2084 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Did they do enough this offseason to improve? Not just stagnate, but get better. That is a good question. Um... I think they did improve a little bit, but that doesn't answer your question. It's did they do enough, and I, I'm not sure that they did. Uh, you see how much better the Spurs got with the LaMarcus Aldridge acquisition. At least I do. Some people, a lot of analytics people don't really like the fit there. Um, no, I'm on board with that just because I think that they're smart enough to figure it out. Exactly, and I think Popovich will put him in um, great positions to be successful. I think him and Duncan are going to work well together. I think the Rockets got a little bit better with the Lawson addition. And, um, you know, if Dwight Howard's healthy, I think they're a lot better. 
Um, and I think the Clippers just made kind of a small jump. I think Matt Barnes was pretty important to that team. He was getting older, but he was sort of an emotional leader, a good defender, good catch-and-shoot guy from three. Uh, Paul Pierce can do a lot of those similar things. I don't know if he can do them to the same extent. Um, and then some of the sort of splashier acquisitions they had, like Lance Stevenson, um, Pablo Prigioni. I like Pablo Prigioni, but there's a couple guys, Smith, Stevenson, uh, Wes Johnson. Uh, they could be net negatives in terms of efficiency and what they do to the overall team. So um, it's been a long-winded answer, but I think to answer your question, it, the, in, the improvement is at best incremental in my mind. All right, so this could totally backfire if you don't give the answer I'm expecting. But in a couple words, maybe even one word, what was the Clippers' biggest problem last year? Uh, leadership? I don't know. I can see that, and that's not really where I was going, but I mean depth. For me, it was all about okay. their depth. You know, they had to rely so much on the starters. And that's why I think that even, they, they, like you said, they might not have improved by as much as some of those other teams in the West. And whenever we go through these teams, we always forget about the Thunder. We were bringing back Kevin Durant. So, you know, there are like three or four, maybe five teams in the West that, get, did, that did get noticeably better. But at the same time, I feel like the Clippers might not win as many games, might not be seeded as well after the regular season, but they're going to be a better playoff team because they still have that core that carried them to such, such success last year. But now they actually have players they should be able to rely upon during the end of the season. You know, like once Josh Smith and Lance Stevenson have a full season under Doc Rivers, you know, they're going to be able to do some positive things in that system, I would assume. So all of a sudden, you're not going to be wearing down Blake Griffin. You're not going to be wearing down Chris Paul. And that's what happened during that playoff series. You know, they were entirely out of energy. Chris Paul was trying to play on one leg. You know, after he got that, that fluke injury, I think it was against the Spurs, right? In like game four, maybe? Yeah, I remember and, that. And he just wasn't the same after that. And we, we saw good things from Austin Rivers, but you don't want to rely on Austin Rivers no. in the playoffs. So I like it for that reason. You know, I don't. They're not going to win 56 games, I don't think. They're not going to finish with the number two record in the conference, but they might be even more. They might be even more strongly suited as championship contenders than they were last year to me. I think I would agree with that. Um, if if all of those pieces sort of gel and, and meld together, but at the same time, I hear names like Lance Stevenson and Josh Smith, and I kind of see the possibility of it blowing up. Um, they're they're both kind of I think more Stevenson than Smith, but there's now another volatile personality in the mix on a team that already had some you know behind the scenes chemistry issues at least reportedly. Um, so I think that adding you know just another element in there that could be combustible could could hurt their chemistry a little bit. Um, just to kind of go deeper into your point about their bench. And I agree with you. I think their depth was a problem last season. I remember I looked up some of the guys that figure to be, um, you know, maybe pro prominent rotation players for them this season uh, off the bench. Guys like Rivers, Jamal Crawford, Lance Stevenson, Cole Aldrich. Those are four that I pulled out specifically. All four of those guys made their teams worse last season. Their teams had better net ratings when they were off the floor than when they were on. And, and obviously there's a lot of noise with net rating. It depends on who you're sharing the floor with and whatnot. Um, 
but I think there's reason to be concerned about some of these additions. No, I agree. And for me, I think that the Clippers are probably this season's best example of the total boomer bust team. Yeah. You know, if everything goes well and they're just playing content basketball throughout the regular season, they're going to be dangerous. But like you said, combustible. I mean, we know that Chris Paul is hard to get along with. He's, he's the Kobe Bryant personality without the media publicity of Kobe Bryant. Yeah. You know, he's, he is a tough person to be teammates with because he's going to de- demand perfection from you. Not sure that goes over well with Lance Stevenson. Not sure it goes over well with Josh Smith. We know that it hasn't always gone well with DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I do worry too, you know, after that free agency saga with Jordan, is he going to want to, is he, not, not want, is he going to demand to be more involved in the offense? Because he now has that trump card where he can say, look, I was going to go elsewhere. I came back. I saved your season. Reward me, please. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see that. And he was promised that uh, from Dallas. So you would think at some point in one of those, you know, lock the door meetings that they had in his house while, <laughs> um, you know, they were waiting for midnight to strike. Who knows what Doc Rivers could have been saying to him at that point? Like, yeah, we'll feed you the ball too. Just come back. We're a family. We'll make this work. Um, I think it's very reasonable to to expect what you just said that he might demand more of an offensive role. Um, and he he was actually pretty good as the main pick and roll guy when Blake Griffin was hurt. And so there's reason there's reason for optimism if you're a Clippers fan. But I think that it's just another sort of wrench in the works that you have all these strong personalities, and this is the case in every NBA organization, um, but I think it is amplified to some extent with the Clippers. I think to some extent DeAndre Jordan has to be on my list this season for the most interesting players in the league because I don't really know what to expect from him at all. Last year he was fantastic, you know, one of the best centers in the league the best rebounder with ease, but he was overrated on defense. You know, he didn't That's deter. It. Yeah, he didn't deter opponents from shooting around the basket at all. He wasn't the standout rim protector that he was made out to do because the block totals are misleading. Mm-hmm. He was a great defender. You know, he deserved all defensive consideration. He did not deserve defensive player of the year consideration. So in some ways, it feels like he's a little overrated. In others, it feels like he's underrated. And, of course, that depends on who's doing the rating and how highly they're rating him. But, I mean, just think about the reactions. When he originally gave the intent to sign with Dallas, that was it for the Clippers. You know, all of a sudden, we were talking about whether they were going to miss the playoffs without him. And it doesn't feel like he's a player who can single-handedly swing the fortunes of a team from the lottery into championship contention. But on this team he might actually be able to do that. It's weird, right? Yeah, it is weird. And at the same time, I remember when, when it was first announced that Dallas was going to get him, everybody was like, oh, Dallas finally got their big free agent they've been chasing for four or five years. Um, I think in terms of the Clippers, part of the reason that, it, that people thought it was going to sink their season um, is it was like, who, who's going to play center? And, and they, they had no money to work with anyway. Yeah, they had nothing in reserve. Um, they couldn't assign anybody, like you just said. I think it would have been kind of cool to see him try to embrace the new, um, you know, faster, smaller revolution, and maybe play Blake at the five a little bit. Um, but that, I think that's the primary reason why it hurt them so much. And I, I think he is important to what they do. I, I don't think he's a guy who's like a season changer, kind of how he was billed 
this summer. I think part of that was just a product of who was available this summer. Um, but he, I mean, he's really important. He, he's a great pick and roll player with Chris Paul. Um, he's their rim protector. I know we both agree that he's a little overrated there, but he's the best that they have. Um, so I, and, and like you said, he's a great rebounder. So he does, he does things that centers need to be good at. And, and I'm pretty intrigued by his season as well. I, I know that we were concerned, and and a lot of the reason was because because Blake Griffin was going to have to play at the five potentially for a lot of the season, and it's equal parts exciting and concerning because you know they they could have a great small ball lineup, and I'll come back to that in a second. But you know Griffin's fragile, and yeah, he's a true. he's a tremendously physical player, but he takes a beating every night. You know some of the shots that he takes. Other players are not going to be able to endure, but he takes so many of them that it wears him down. Now, for the last couple of seasons, we've seen him slow down at the end of the regular season or in the playoffs just because of the workload he has to endure. And I would not want him as my primary five for the course of an entire season, especially in the West. You know, that's, yeah. that's a recipe for disaster for me. But that said, a small ball lineup now with Jordan in the picture really excites me because if, if Jordan needs a breather, I mean, imagine like Chris Paul... Lance Stevenson, J.J. Redick, Paul Pierce, and Blake Griffin. That is a fun lineup. Yeah. It can do a lot of different things, and you, ha- you do have enough shooting with Pierce at the four, Redick at the two, and Paul running the point that Stevenson's not really going to be a concern and can go about his slashing ways. So I, I, that excites me. I like that a lot, and I haven't, I haven't thought about that specific five-man unit until you just brought it up, and I, I like it a lot. Like I said, I think Paul Pierce – was probably at his best when he played the small ball four for the Wizards last season. Mm-hmm. Um, Stevenson was at his best two seasons ago with the Pacers when he could kind of facilitate a little bit. And I think, obviously, you want Chris Paul to be your primary facilitator, um, but that just gives you a second option. If if you know Chris Paul can break things down, then Lance kind of be that kind of becomes that that secondary playmaker. Um, so I, I like that lineup a lot that you just threw out there. And just to, to further what you're saying, how much better Pierce was at the four than the three last year with Washington? If you look at 82games.com, mm-hmm. his player efficiency rating at small forward was a league average 15, just flat 15. At power forward, it jumped all the way to 23.2. Wow. On defense, at small forward, it was 13.8. And when he played power forward, it fell to nine. Wow. So that is a, that's a huge difference. Now, granted, there are only classifying 4% of his minutes at power forward. Okay. So it's a pretty small sample size, but that's really encouraging to me. Yeah. And I think they did, I, 82games.com just tracks regular season as far as I know. And I think the Wizards did more of that in the playoffs. Yeah, and I believe that the, the way they, they classify it is just straight by height. So okay. I'm, I'm not sure how exactly that would work with the Wizards. And maybe, I, I think Otto Porter might be taller than he is, which I might think, be yeah, why he's listed as the three a lot taller. more. Yeah. Um, and I, Pierce is getting older, so I don't, I don't know how much longer he can sustain the level of play that he showed last season. Uh, but if he can at least come back to what he was with the Wizards, I, I like that addition a lot. And I'm just happy he's not going to terrorize the Hawks in the playoffs anymore. <laughs> like that's that's the positive for well, me. Until the Hawks and the Clippers face in the finals, right? I would be okay with that. <laughs> Which I don't think is out of the question for the Clippers. I don't know about the Hawks. Sorry, Adam. But it's all right. I, I do think that the Clippers are one of those 
uh, I'm going to say six Western Conference teams that has a legitimate shot to win a title. Um, I'm sure you probably put them in that mix too. Oh, absolutely. And I know we usually save our soapbox time for our Burns the Bacon segment on the end. But let me just rant a little bit here because the Chris Paul playoffs reputation thing is so beyond dumb. I agree. You know, like, what more do you want him to do? Like, this, this last year, if you were really going to pin that collapse against Houston just on him, like, first of all, it all started when he was on the bench. Second of all, he was playing hurt. Mm-hmm. And just looking at his history, he's been one of, if not the best individual player in the playoffs a couple years now. Like, I don't know what more people want him to do because he plays such fantastic basketball and it's injuries. It's other, like two years ago when Blake Griffin was a complete no-show against Memphis and all of a sudden, that's another knock against CP0, as Skip yeah. Bayless would say. You know, <laughs> Is that what he called him? I think so. Wow. And I hate that I just invoked Skip Bayless's name on this podcast and I apologize to all of our listeners, but it's worth, it's worth pointing out that, you know, this is ridiculous. Like, come on. I agree. I'm lost for words. I, I, I don't use good ones here because it makes me so mad. No, I think your point is well taken. I'm, I'm actually looking up his playoff numbers and just kind of, I'm going to run. Um, I wanted to see how many people have played at the level that he has in the playoffs. So while I'm doing that, I'll just say that he averages 20.9 points and nine and a half assists um, in 65 career playoff games. So, oh, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So, so I, I actually have a complete database of every single player who has ever played in a playoff game. You know, I, I did a big project where I was looking at the top hundred postseason performers and did way too much data collection. And game score, which isn't necessarily the best metric, has him as a top 20 playoff performer of all time. Wow. Um, the issue is that he doesn't get any, any credit for advancing deep into the playoffs because he hasn't done that. But as an individual, it's really hard to knock him. And he's still got so many years ahead of him. Yeah. Well, I actually, so he's played 65 playoff games. And this will just back up what you just said. Um, so I did the old, the handy basketball reference season finder. Players who've appeared in at least 65 playoff games and averaged 20 points and 9 assists. Can you guess how many have done it? I want to say like five. Just one. Chris Paul. Uh, even better. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Talk about proving your point. I thought, I thought maybe it'd be Magic Johnson on there at least, but I, he probably didn't make it in terms of points. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. So he's he's literally in a league of his own as a playoff performer, and people still it's and we don't need to get too far into this because this is a topic for a whole different thing. But this whole notion that a player isn't great until he wins a championship is just so stupid to me. Well, it's so selective too. You know, we want to talk about stars and be like, "Yep, Steph Curry is now definitively better." Than ever than than like Chris Paul, yeah. Because he has the ring and he doesn't. So on that note, why isn't you know like like he wasn't whoever you want to name from the roster? You know, Adam Morrison has two rings. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. There, there at least needs to be some intelligence to the argument. And yeah, it's an important component of a player's legacy because it is the ultimate goal. Yeah. But I mean, basketball is a team sport. Last time I checked. Mm Yeah, it's very important, and I, 
it's just funny to me. Like, was Stephen Curry not the best point guard in the league after Game Six of the Finals, and he just became it after Game Seven? It just it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm right with you on this. And in terms of Chris Paul and the Clippers, it makes it makes no sense. Um, switching gears from Chris Paul, we talked a little bit about Blake Griffin. Um, mostly just that he gets beat up a lot, and that's that's true. Uh, what do you what do you kind of see as his prospects for this coming season? I, I have a few things that I can say about Blake Griffin, but I want to let you go first. I feel like we're just going to see him fill a pretty similar role, maybe take a slight step back in terms of involve, involvement, but get a little bit more efficient. You know, we've steadily seen him improve his post move. They still look horribly awkward, but they work, yes, they which do. is all that matters. And he's his jumper is improving. You know, he's fairly consistent from around the elbows now. He's which also starting looks to, awkward, but works. <laughs> yeah, it's starting to show uh, some flashes of of the back to the basket game, like Tim Duncan does, where he faces up and then hits a little bank shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so all those are positive developments, and it's it's emblematic of how much he has worked on his game and really transitioned from that that dunking machine into a complete basketball player. You know, I think we sell him a little bit short on defense too. He's never going to be a great defend, a great rim protector because he has short arms. Mm-hmm. You know, his his true height, for lack of a better term, isn't as tall as the top of his head. Um, but I, I think that he's not done improving, and I don't necessarily think that he's going to get the credit he deserves because his per game numbers will go down this season. I agree, and I think. Um... I think because his some of his basic per game numbers have kind of leveled off or started to lower a little bit from his, the, he had this sort of explosion into the NBA, um, crazy numbers, double doubles every night, and those have kind of that that's kind of been curtailed a little bit, and I think he's slightly underrated now as a rebounder. I think he's slightly underrated just because DeAndre Jordan mm-hmm. is out there collecting so many rebounds. And there's a lot of possessions where the Clippers just defer to Jordan just to help him get his totals up. Um, I think Griffin's a better rebounder than, than maybe seven and a half rebounds a game, which is, I think, what he got last season. Where I really think he's underrated um, is as a passer. And I'm going to jump over to a basketball reference again for this. So 74 players last season uh, were listed who qualified for the minutes leaderboard we listed at 6'10 or taller. He's first in that group in, in assist percentage. He it's is not surprising. He is a great passer. Um, and it, it's talked about in broadcasts and it's brought up now and then. But I don't I don't think we're fully appreciating what he is as a playmaker. What do you think about that? I couldn't agree more. I mean, the Clippers feel comfortable letting him serve as a point forward. Exactly. And that should say enough. Yeah, you know when when Chris Paul and Jamal Crawford aren't on the court, he can actually run the show, which Great. is a luxury that so many teams don't have. You know, Demarcus Cousins can do it, Marcus All can do it, and we talk all the time about how good they are as facilitators. And I don't think Griffin gets enough credit there either. The reason that I like this the most, though, is because of the new additions. Because you don't want Lance Stevenson handling the ball, you don't want Josh Smith handling the ball, but if you're going to play them alongside Blake Griffin then all of a sudden you might be able to make better use of their talent because those guys are so athletic and so mm-hmm. dangerous as cutters that if you are asking a defense to try and handle Blake one-on-one and Blake's passing with those athletic options around him, 
And those aren't things that he's had before. You know, Matt Barnes could get up, but not to the extent that no. Lance Stevenson can. Yeah, no. And the, the, uh, the, the big man game with DeAndre Jordan only works so many times. But now you're going to throw in some wing players who can sky. That's, that's a good thing to me. You know, I, I just thought of this as you were talking. And the Clippers, I don't think, did this at all last season. But they got a front row seat to it when they got beat by the Rockets last season. Um, you remember those Josh Smith, Dwight Howard's four or five pick and rolls, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I wonder if we'll see any of that from the Clippers. I wonder if Doc is willing to kind of embrace that. And I know that there are other teams around the league that are talking about it. Um, the Jazz drafted Trey Lyles pretty much for that sole purpose, mm-hmm. um, an ability to run a four or five pick and roll. I think Griff can, can do it. Um, Josh Smith obviously has already shown that he can do it. Uh, I wonder if we'll see a little bit more creativity from from Doc Rivers in that respect. I think a Josh Smith, DeAndre Jordan pick and roll could be devastating. The only concern I have with that is that I'm not entirely sure that Rivers is the most creative coach. You know, yeah. he runs good out-of-bounds plays, and he's a great defensive mind, but he's always been about, like, interpersonal relations and, and pre-game strategy, and I haven't tended to see as much creativity, which could be because he was working with a team that had so many superstars in Boston. Yeah. And then he has the luxury of having Chris Paul do whatever the hell he wants to on a court, and it's going to work. So maybe we'll see something different this year. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, and I think that's why I phrased it as, will we see Doc Rivers get more creative? Because um, I think he is the kind of that coach that he relies on traditional positional designations. Um, he really had Rondo basically doing the same thing that Chris Paul did. When, when he was in Boston, even though Rondo couldn't really, obviously couldn't shoot to the extent that Paul can. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just something that, that interests me. I don't, I don't know if he has the creativity to do it or not, but I, it's something that would definitely, that I would like to see. <laughs> Get him on the phone. Maybe I'll, I'll explain it to him. <laughs> we'll see if we can make that happen. We could also <laughs> just have him as a guest on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But, you know, we're, we're running a little short on time. So before we move into uh, the Burns the Bacon segment, I do want to hear your your prediction for this season in terms of where they're going to finish in the regular season and how much of a contender they really can be. So I've kind of been, last couple episodes, I've kind of been doing ceiling and realistic. So I think ceiling for the Clippers is 60 wins. I think they can get there if everything clicks. Um, if Lance Steven, Stevenson returns to the form that he was at that last year with the Pacers, um, if Paul Pierce can stave off Father Time for a little bit. Where I think they'll realistically end up is probably low to mid-50s. And and like I said earlier, I do think they're a legitimate contender. Just depending on how things break in the playoffs, there's six, at least six teams that I could realistically see winning it all, and the Clippers are one of them. Yeah, I think their ceiling is, like you said, probably around 60 wins and getting the number two spot in the West they could fall as far down as maybe number five or six mm-hmm. in the mid-50s, which I think is a little bit more likely because it's going to take some time for them to coalesce with the new pieces, and they do have the depth where they can start playing for the playoffs. I don't really want to make a prediction about where they're going to, how they're going to emerge from that pack of contenders because you know we, it, it all depends on matchups. It all depends on who's going to be healthy, and the important thing right now is that they are poised to be one of those. Agreed. So hopefully my predictions didn't get you sizzling, but... Bacon! Bacon! Where's the bacon? I smell bacon! 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 Gotta be bacon! Only one thing smells like bacon! That's bacon! 
That's right. It's time for What Burns My Bacon. And today, Andy is going to be telling us what has him a little bit hot under the collar. Very hot under the collar, Adam. I don't know if I'm... I, I do know. People probably don't know this about me. The team that I am, like, the biggest fan of across any sport is the Denver Broncos. Uh, I'm from Cheyenne, Wyoming, so I'm pretty close. There's the proximity thing. I love the Broncos since before I can remember. Um, my bacon is just, it's already burnt right now over Peyton Manning. He should have retired this summer, and I think he's going to make it really difficult for the Broncos to be good this season. Um, if any of you watched his performance in week one, it was more of the same of what we saw the last six or seven weeks of last season. Anything he throws over 10 yards, it's clear that he has no touch. There was an article that came out recently that said he has no feeling in his fingertips. Not exactly a good thing for a quarterback. Anything that he throws under 10 feet, it's just a duck. It it's sails there. It gives DBs plenty of time to run in and intercept it or knock it down or whatever they want to do. Um, and... It's just kind of funny to me. We're, it's almost like we're back in the Tim Tebow era as Denver Broncos fans, where our only chance uh, is just hoping that the defense is going to be ridiculous week in and week out. I, I love Peyton Manning as a person. He's done some really good things for Denver the last few years. Um, but that decline can come quickly, and it certainly has in Peyton's case. And I'm ready for the Brock Osweiler era, Adam. Yeah, I think maybe the biggest sign that we're ready for the NBA season now is that so many of our burning our bacon segments have been about the NFL. Yeah. You know, like we're now to the point where we just mentioned Peyton Manning and Tim Tebow in the same sentence and it might not be that ridiculous. It might not be a hot take, but you know, like Yeah, it's time. Can, it's time for some basketball. Yeah, for sure. Uh speaking of basketball was actually really good today. I don't know if you saw the um France Spain semifinal or at least followed it at all. Oh my gosh. It might be worth watching the replay. That was a good game. We might have to do it. I think EuroLeague doesn't quite get as much credit as it deserves because there are so many great players playing this time of year. Yeah, and that game particularly was awesome. Um, so that just thinking about that kind of made my bacon a little less burnt. I don't know how you re- reverse the process of burning bacon. but I think you go to the grocery store and buy some more bacon. <laughs> there you go. Eurobasket is my new bacon. Um, <laughs> we're out of time. My bacon's, my old bacon's burnt over Peyton. My new bacon's not burnt yet. Um, you can reach us on Twitter. That's a good segue there. Adam is at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. Dan, who again is not with us today, he is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. And then all three of us are at Hardwood Knox. Um, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes, we would really appreciate... A rating there. That's kind of how iTunes um, pushes their podcasts out, so to speak. Like the more ratings you get, the more eyes you get. So we would really appreciate that. Um, anyway, keep listening, keep sharing. Thanks, and shout out to Bino Udri. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> 
In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions.